edition of Puck Talk. I'm your host, Spider Jack. In studio with me today is nobody. Nobody's in the studio with me today. Ben Hatchet is out uh, out and about right now, and as is Matt Puste, but I have a very full show for you. Up first, we have Brian Baston, an analytics contributor for On the Forecheck covering the Nashville Predators, and he and I have a lot to talk about today. Brian, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Well, considering how the Preds lost to Anaheim last night at home for, I believe it's eighth loss this year at home. Not not as well as I'd want to be, but uh, yeah, let, let, let's just get right into it. First of all, not a great game overall for the Nashville Predators. What are your what are your just initial quick hits? Um, it, it was very unlike a lot of the games that we've seen from the Preds uh, under Hines. And it's obvious you can't really expect like a full turnaround, but they were doing a lot of things really well, and um, those things didn't happen at all yesterday. No, not at all. Uh, there were a lot more point shots. Uh, the mentality of fighting for the middle of the ice was not there in the slightest, and overall, they just did not have a good game. Were there any key players that maybe did not fit the the overall encompassing bad that was last night. Uh, you mean that like did well? Yeah, like players that did well, players that were out of the ordinary and a bad of in a crowd of bad. <laughs> That's the worst possible way I can ask that question. Um, the Bonino line. Yeah, and uh, adding Arvidsson, I had some doubts about that. I thought maybe they need someone like Craig Smith to provide uh, a little bit more distribution, a little bit more size, but. They were the only three players to do anything well last night, really. Yeah, and that's weird because the Benino line's production has come from offensive zone, uh, offensive zone time, doing their best to keep the puck in the zone, trying to create chances, trying not to play defense. And Arvidsson is more of a rush attack player. So, how did Arvidsson fit so well with Grimaldi and Benino? Um, I think that Benino has gotten very, very good this year at uh, his, his puck distribution, passing to the high-danger areas. And Grimaldi is kind of what we saw from Arvidsson in the last few years. I mean, he really just goes full speed towards the net. Um, he's not getting quite the puck luck that uh, Arvidsson was getting the last couple of years, but I think that maybe just helped give him a little bit of a jump. And I also think this line's really been succeeding because they've been keeping him as the quote-unquote third line. And so they're getting some advantageous uh, matchups. Well, matchups are key, and they have been getting, you know, bottom six competition. And naturally, when one of the leading goal scorers is on the bottom six lines, of course, they're going to look like superstars. So, uh, sort of going off of Rocco Grimaldi and Nick Benino, what do you think has made the Benino Grimaldi Smith line so successful this year? Um. Well. <laughs> That's that's really, I mean, Benino and Grimaldi were probably my two biggest guys that I thought were going to be way worse than what people had expected. Um, Grimaldi, I thought he'd be a healthy scratch by this time of the year. And, and Benino, 
he, I mean, defensively, he was fantastic, but I thought last year he was propped up by Colton Sissons, and it's completely turned around and the opposite, that Sissons had a pretty bad year, but Benino is succeeding no matter where he is. Yeah, and it, arguably, then, this Benino line has been the first line, just uh, based off production alone, and mm-hmm. now that we got the news today that Yakov Trenin and Jared Tenorti and Alexander Carrier are going back down to Milwaukee. Colton Sissons and Austin Watson are coming back into play. What is the foreseeable future for those two players? To be honest, uh, the fact that they didn't play Watson at all in the last, what, three to four games, I think says a lot. Um, Part of me wants to think that maybe Hines just wanted to see Trenton and Blackwell as much as possible before he had to send them back down. But I don't know. I think it's been pretty obvious that Watson's been far and away the worst uh, forward on the team this year. And no matter who he's paired with, even when he's been paired with Nick Benino, that line gets dragged down. He's just kind of a liability at this point. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. And there's something to be said for physicality. There's something to be said for a player that's meant to be an enforcer type, meant to lay the body, lay their body on the line on the penalty kill, but Austin Watson really hasn't done that this year and I guess going off of that, besides Austin Watson, which players could use the favorite phrase of the National Predators locker room, quote, a wake-up call right now? Um, the goalies? <laughs> and it's an <laughs> obvious one. <laughs> And it, it's hard. It really is hard because goaltending is voodoo. And, you know, some players are like John Gibson was the, was the guy I called for Vesna this year. And he's having a, you know, except for last night, he's having a pretty mediocre season. Um, but I didn't, didn't really expect the severe drop with uh, Pecorino, especially. Um, he's got a pretty decent five on five uh, save percentage and saves over expected. But, Get to the PK, and he's like a seventy-four percent or something like that. Yeah, it's not no great at all. It's not great what you look at. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Benino uh, has—I don't think he's been out on the ice as much for the penalty kill this year because they're trying to make players like Austin Watson useful by throwing him out on the penalty kill. But uh, you threw out an interesting stat last night: the Nashville Predators' shooting percentages. At five on five, five game rolling. So, can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Sure. So, you can look at like their game by game shooting percentage, but when you have a game like one goal or they don't have to score anything and you try to just have that base out over the whole season, that kind of skews things, especially with shooting percentage. So, what that rolling five game percentage is, is just the average of the previous five games. So it kind of gives you an idea of where the team is trending. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Yeah, it gives you an idea of, of how the team is trending and um, kind of where, where they're going up and down. And with the shooting percentage, you can see there's this it's peak. It goes up and down throughout this whole season. And you can see it, it lines up almost exactly with the Fred's win streaks and loss streaks, which there have been a whole lot more of those. And right now, um, they're at the lowest point as, as they've been all season. 
Um, it kind of peaked up for a little bit, right around uh, the beginning of the year, but it's been kind of up and down. And so really when you have that, that perfect storm of inconsistent goaltending and then guys who just can't get a goal to save their lives, um, this is what you see. I think that in previous years, really solid goaltending has covered this up. Um, the Preds have been a team who's historically got more goals than they probably should have. Um, you know, a lot more goals over expected because they're just they're shooting really high. You know, Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, Nick Menino to some extent last year, um, all guys that were shooting way above kind of what their averages were. And when they would regress or they'd go into a slump, we had solid goaltending to have, you know, 2-1, 2-0 victories. And this year, they can't count on that. And so you see the argument online with a lot of teams now saying that, well, you know, these coaches got fired because the goaltending is bad, and that's a bad idea because you're just you're punishing the coach for the goaltending. In some cases, maybe, but in, our, in, in the Preds' case, it really is an issue that – Goaltending was no longer hiding the issues that the team had for the last year and a half, two years, and it was becoming glaringly obvious. And so I think that the call had to be made. I'm glad that it was made when it did because I really think that, um, you know, there's no telling if, if the goaltending is going to go back to what we think of as normal or not. And so something has to change structurally, systematically, really. Well, you look at even strength and you look at. 4v5 numbers for Pecorini, and they are different, and it's not even close. Pecorini has the worst save percentage on the penalty kill, and UC Saros doesn't really fare that much better, and I believe, if the stat still holds, Pecorini has allowed the most goals out of any goaltender on the penalty kill. So, one, one might say... Isolate the chances, you know, condense where players are getting on the ice. But all in all, Pecorino just has to make the save, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's really it's really odd because the, the the team in front of him. I mean, yeah, there's been some bad you know, structural defense in front of him, but his you know he's only expected to have given up 13 goals. I mean, so that's that's kind of what opponents have racked up on them. You know, 13 expected goals. Um, I think for refer- a reference point, uh, Terry Price, Montreal has had him face 22 and a half expected goals, and he's saved just like 0.3 below that. So he's doing exactly what you would expect. But then you have Pecorine, and he's at he's let in 13 more goals than expected, and that's not something that you see from him or really ever. Um, that's I can't imagine in any other season. Um, in recent memory, that he's had that big of an issue. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely been a problem. We're going to take about a 10-second break for the legal ID. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. This is John Clayton, senior NFL writer for ESPN. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE, Greencastle. And we're back just like that. Welcome back to Puck Talk with Spider Jack. Joining me today is Brian Baston. We are talking Preds analytics, specifically Pecorine, UC Soros, Nick Benino. We are diving in deep. Now, Brian, for those of us who are still trying to understand the analytical side better of the sport, can you tell us what expected goals mean what we can't what to look for with expected goals and how to gauge that versus 
actual goals that are scored? Okay, so um, there's three, two or three different um, models out there, public models. Um, you know, a lot of teams claim that they have either their own internal ways of measuring these things or there's private companies, but there's two or three private models. Uh, natural stat trick is one that I use quite a bit as well as evolving uh, hockey. And essentially what expected goals are is the probability that a shot's going to become a goal. Um, so if you look at it on a per shot basis, so you know if if Victor Arvison takes takes a shot and they say that it has a an expected goal value of 0.09, that's essentially just mean like historically from a location near where he was to when he took that shot, um, you know, the, what was that was the distance from him to the goal. Uh, did something happen in the last two or three seconds? Was it a rebound? They take in as many factors as the NHL scorekeepers give you and compare that historically uh, back probably, what, 11, 12 years now? And so now you get this massive historical database of saying that, you know, when a player is in this situation, um, historically it's had this much of a chance of going in. And so when you look at it and if you kind of do a paint like a whole picture, you'll see that like expected goal values are massive right in front of the net and, you know, right in that, in the crease area. And then as you get past the the center dots and the circles, then it just kind of drops off. And that's, I mean, it's, it's really intuitive. It's what, you know, you hear those high danger passes or high danger shots, things like that. It's the same thing. Um, And so really what you can do is there's two things. Traditionally what you'll see a lot is, at the end of a game, you basically just add up all of the expected goals that uh, every shot um, that players took. Uh, so you add those up, and so say like, uh, last night, for example, I'm going to see if I can pull that up. Um, last night, the Preds had a sink at five on five. Um, 2.4 expected goals. So I mean. Normally, that you would expect that based on how much they were shooting and how well they were shooting, that they should have around two, two three goals. Um, at the end of a season, you can look at these models and you'll see like a team season total for expected goals is usually very close to what they actually scored. Um, and that's what they they change that every single year. They they update it to make sure that it's pretty accurate. And so when you see things like the Preds had one goal, even though. You know, they should have expected about two and a half, meaning that one, they just couldn't. I mean, we saw what Gibson was doing last night. I mean, there was probably three three goals that should have gone in that didn't just because of, of Gibson and how, how well he played last night. But the other thing that's a little misleading and kind of thing I focused on this, this season is, so you can add that up. So let's take, for example, two teams that had just an expected goal value of, of one. Um, you would just you would kind of judge them at the end of a game equally. You'd say, oh yeah, they both they both had the same shot quality. They both controlled it, and so you'd say it was even. But one of the things is that you want to look at how you got to that number. And so if I said that that the, the Predators took five shots to get to that one expected goal, but the Ducks took two shots, that means that the Preds were averaging about you know a a 20%, you know, a 0.2 XG per, per shot, whereas Anaheim was doing a 0.5. So really, Anaheim was picking and choosing their spots. They only took, in this example, two shots. They took two very, very high-quality shots. 
And so looking at that shot quality, I think, has been a real uh, something new I've done this season and really been kind of watching as the season goes on because you can really start to kind of see some trends that the teams that are like consciously taking better shots, even if that means they're taking less shots, it, it helps them tremendously. Um, Nashville's always been a team that's really wanted to control possession by shooting, shooting, shooting. Uh, they've always been that team that outcourses you know, most shot attempts, you know, 15, 20 more than their opponent. Um, but this season, we're starting to see a slow kind of, it's starting to go back down to where they're kind of picking and choosing their shots a little bit more. And especially now, since since the beginning of the year with, and with Hines, that's gotten a whole lot better. Now, I don't know how much of that can be really, you can really say, you know, it, all of a sudden he told them to shoot better shots and they've done it. But, I mean, it's an encouraging trend because you're, you can watch these games and see, like, they're getting to the high danger areas. They're not taking 20, 25 point shots a game. Um, and that's what they kind of got, that's what they reverted to last night. And I think that was a lot of the reason that they, they had a lot of trouble yesterday. Well, yeah, obviously. And this Predators team relied on Peter Laviolette's system, which is cycle the puck north to south, back to the point, take a shot, and look for a, and hunt for a rebound. And I don't really think that that's the identity that Matt Duchesne or Mikael Glenland or I would go as far as to say Craig Smith would. Uh, I, I don't think that that system really worked for them. But talking about Corsi 4, total shot attempts versus high danger chances, expected goals, more trading volume for quantity. Is that a strategy that the Predators should implore going forward? Or is this a fair trade-off going forward? And, you know, why, why or why not would taking better shots versus more shots be better? So one of the things that, in like, like Corsi, which is just shot attempts, which is block shot, miss, shot on goal, even a goal, um, has been kind of the... the stat that analytics people have focused on for a while is that if you go and look at it statistically, it lines up with pretty well with possession time. So, you know, if, if the Predators had 50 shot attempts and, um, and the Ducks had 30 shot attempts, you know, they, they controlled the, they controlled the puck, um, you know, for probably about 60, 65% of the time. And that's, you can pretty much say you're watched by that. Now, for me, if you ask me, I'm taking, I want quality. I, I mean, I'm, they can take 20 shot attempts of the whole game and I'll be fine if they're getting good, high quality shots. Um, there is something to be said, like they talked about, you know, all night last night that, yeah, sometimes you can take those point shots from the blue line and get traffic in front. And that's the only way they scored last night, honestly. But that's, a, that's something that's going to happen one out of every 40 shots. You know, you're going to get enough traffic in front get that working and now that you just have Roman Yossi um, and to a lesser uh, extent Ryan Ellis that can take those shots and actually score on them it's something that they really can't rely on all the time and so yeah take those shots every once in a while just to kind of get get the puck on net but it really is overrated that to say no no just get some shots on net get some shots on net that'll make everything better no, because what's happening is you get these rebounds or they're, they're making the save and they're kicking it back out. You get a breakout going the other way. I'd much rather have people in position 
to take those low to high, like, you know, have a, somebody in the bumper position like Matthew Shane does on the power play. Or, you know, just any low to high passing from behind the net is almost always better if you can get that into the crease. And so, um, you know, getting those quality shots, if you, I mean, if you can sit there and say, I'm going to take 20 shots that have 1% chance of going in, or I'll take five shots that all have, you know, a 10% shot of going in, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that as high quality shots because honestly, you have to get that goalie. Um, you know, you have to give them more of a challenge. And if you're blasting point shots with nobody in front of them and they can watch the puck all the way in, they're going to stop that every time. Yeah, and once again, this is Brian Baston, analytics contributor for On the Forecheck. It says here that in terms of expected goals allowed, the Predators are fifth best in the league. And in terms of scoring chances allowed, the Predators are sixth best. So obviously, the National Predators are doing a good job in front of the net. It's just the opposite end of the ice. They're just sort of throwing the puck on the net, looking for bounces, looking for basically anything. They're like, I, I would say rats looking for scraps, but that's not exactly the best metaphor for this hockey team right now. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Victor Arvidsson in terms of Corsi 4 and expected goals. I've always looked at Victor Arvidsson as the guy that just says, whatever, I'm going to shoot. Just from mm-hmm. wherever and in if it goes in, it goes in. This year, Victor Arvidsson has not done that whatsoever. He's been more selective. He's tried to take better shots, but he cannot get to the areas without good passing. So, And that's not really his fault because they took the best puck movement, the best puck mover off of his line, Philip Forsberg, and placed Callie Yarncroke in there, who isn't exactly a terrible replacement, but certainly isn't what Victor Arvidsson needs. Has Victor Arvidsson's play not been there because he's changed his mentality or because he can't quite get the shots he's looking for? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of puzzles. And so I'd say prior to this year, I would have told you that Philip Forsberg was that power forward type who could just do anything. He's going to carry that puck in. He's going to get in there, and he's going to open up everybody else. Uh, Ryan Johansson, and I still maintain this, he's probably the best pure passer on the entire team. Um, And so what I think is happening this year is that, one, they're not getting much continuity. Uh, Forsberg's been bouncing back and forth between that line and and with Duchesne and Granlin. and then, you know, Arvidsson's been hurt for extended period of time. Forsberg's been hurt for extended period of time. And so you see that in those lines where they've been shuffled up constantly, constantly. They're not performing as well. Um, you know, you look at the best line on the team, the Benino line, and it's because Craig Smith and Rocco Grimaldi have been together pretty much almost all season. Uh, and I think that a, little, a lot of that comes from there because, I mean, last year, the Joe line was – you know, not only just the only line that was scoring on the team in the last couple of years, but one of the better lines in the entire NHL. And so, yeah, I think they're not getting a lot of those rush shots. I think Victor Arvidsson is, his defense is, I mean, it's always been atrocious, but it's gotten relatively better. And I think part of that is because in previous seasons, if he thought the puck might be going to a predator in the defensive zone, he's taking off so he can get that breakaway. And that was what he scored quite a few of his goals on in previous years. Um, this year, I think he's staying home a little bit more. I think without that dynamic defensive player, um, like Philip Forsberg, who can, who can help with that, I think that's caused him to stay home a little bit more. Um, the, the jump screen in front of the net's not really 
helping right now. I think that Yarn Crook is kind of a guy who he's he's kind of taking shots almost all season from like, you know Obi's office and beyond, and he's been connecting on insanely. <laughs> so, uh, and then again, Johansson doesn't doesn't shoot. He's not really much of a scorer, and that's kind of what he's always been. Um, but yeah, I mean with Arvidsson, I think being healthy, having some consistency, if they can find some lines and stick with them, I think it'll help. I don't know that Yarncroke is the one to do it with Arvidsson, but then we saw them last night, but you know, Arvidsson and Grimaldi, and it works pretty well. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, yes, it will. We're going to take a 30-second break. You were listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Learn more, people. The time here in Greencastle is 428. It is 30 degrees, and it feels like 19, which means it's 19 degrees, people, because two temperatures can't exist. Once again, this is Puck Talk with Spider Check. On with me right now is Brian Baston, an analytics contributor to On the Fort Check, a very, very good vlog out in Nashville, Tennessee. We are discussing the Nashville Predators, Victor Arvidsson, and now... We've seen what Laviolette's system did, and we've had we have a very small sample size, but we can we've seen what happens when John Hines' system is implemented, and what happens when John Hines' system is not implemented. Cue Nashville's first two games on the road, and cue last night's game at home against Anaheim. So, Brian. Theoretically, with this new system change, how long do you think it will take the Predators to fully acclimate, you know, in terms of getting just back into the rhythm and getting back into a groove and hopefully finding something, finding a couple of games, a couple of stretches where they can put together a couple of wins? How long will it take? Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think that Hines this season knows that if things turn around, great, but that's probably not the goal for this year at this point. I mean, they've got the ability, they've got the talent to do it. They're sitting, they're a 500 team all year, really, but and, yeah, anything's possible, but I think he's going to take care of the low-hanging fruit, and you're starting to see some of that. So neutral zone transition has just been atrocious again with under La Violette, and that's gotten better. Uh, taking quality shots, like I said before, something that we're seeing a little bit. And then, you know, of course, there's the just really advanced technical uh, skill of telling players to stand in the middle of the goal in front of the goalie <laughs> and give them some support. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And one of the things that I really loved to hear in his first presser was we want to fight for the middle of the ice and we want to be high energy. And we had heard the high energy thing before, right? We'd heard, okay, we, we want to be always moving the puck. We always want to have the puck. We always want to be moving. But I like the middle of the ice mentality. And looking at this new development that Yakov Trenin is being sent down, 
Looking at his heat map, it looked like he didn't really have a tremendous impact in the offensive zone, and it really didn't look like he had too big of an impact in the defensive zone, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Or or am I just or am I completely off base with that? Um, no, and I think that part of it is that uh, his time, he's been called up a couple times, and so his time's been kind of choppy this season, whereas Blackwell's been up for a while now, and he's had several games with the same line mates. Um, it's crazy what having a extended time with Kyle Turris instead of Austin Watson will do for you. And, uh, <laughs> but then, and again, I like Trenton a whole lot. I think he's a He's a real, he's a scoring threat. I think he's got a really great shot that um, I'm trying to think of who I compare him to. Uh, maybe maybe a, kind of in between a Craig Smith and, yeah, Craig Smith is kind of like a type of uh, player. But, and so I thought, I expected him to be the one who came, would come up and, and do a lot. But like Blackwell has just been way better than I expected. I, I reviewed last season, I think he had three games in Nashville and just did nothing. I mean, didn't have any goals against or goals for. He was just there. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't really quite expect that. And so I think part of it is really that he's on that line with Kyle Turris, who's probably feeling great and, you know, having a good time right now in his, this part of his career now. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean... And then having... Yeah, go ahead. Getting paid $6 million and you only get to play about eight minutes a night. Just... Just take it easy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the guy that, that benched you for seven, eight games is gone now, so... He looks like the idiot, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. But I think, I mean, I think the familiarity that Blackwell had with Trennan helped. Uh, I think that Hines has been very smart in how he deploys them. He's been giving them all offensive zone starts, you know, making sure that they, they're set up to succeed. And just giving him, you know, eight, nine minutes, like you said... And they're not, you know, they're not having to split time on the, on the penalty kill or anything like that. And so they can keep them together. He can put them against their worst players. And it's, it's working out fairly well. I mean, they're not going to be a, a, a line that's going to be your high-performing line night in, night out. But they're a much better line than what we would have of, you know, in previous years where we would have Mika Salamaki and, and Austin Watson or, you know, Freddie Goudreau. It's got something, there's something there that they're not going to lose the game for you. <laughs> yeah, and looking at Yakov Trenin's stats here, he scored six points and two goals in 13 games. That's not, that's not bad, especially when you're no, only, especially when you're playing, you know, like I said, eight minutes a night and, you know, you're getting deployed with one of the best playmakers in the league. And I, 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 the only reason that I would suspect that he would be sent down was his penalty minutes. He has seven penalty minutes, but I'm not. That's that's a fight in a minor. I don't really know what to tell you. I have no idea. No, I, I have no idea why Trenton was sent down. What's going to happen is with this. I know that I think that we've got one more game before break, and um, you know, uh, Trenton. Uh, yeah, just here. I was trying to think. Yeah, Trenton and. Ingram and I think it was it, it Blackwell as well that got voted into the AHL uh, All Star Game. Something like that. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm I'm gonna I'm fairly willing to bet that he they, he sent them down because I think Hines knows 
that he's just going to go ahead and go with like, probably Watson since he's the only other healthy forward unless Sitchin decides to try to play uh, tomorrow and give them time to get back in the, get back to Milwaukee, get settled in, get acclimated because if they didn't, they just play a game tomorrow and then go back to Milwaukee anyways. And so and he kind of got, had time to see him, had extensive time to look at him and see how they've been doing. And so I think he's given that time to go down there, enjoy, you know, get back with the, the team a little bit in Milwaukee, play in the All-Star game, and then I, I would imagine that we'll see him back called back up um, before the, the second game after the break, I think with uh, Toronto, I believe. Something like that. I mean, and, and going off of what you said, looking at Austin Watson getting scratched for four games, regardless of how he's played, you have a million two hundred sitting in the press box every single night, and Yakov Trenin is making less than a million dollars. So I guess the idea is get what you paid for out of Austin Watson, but I'm not sure what he's contributing. When you look at his heat map and the defensive zone, there's a lot of red in the, in, in the slot area. And that's exactly what the Predators do not need with a bad goaltender in net right now. Overall, I'm not too concerned about Colton Sissons. I think Colton Sissons will acclimate well with Blackwell and Turris. Do you think that Sissons is going to turn it around? Um, I think so. I mean, I think he's having a really rough season uh, uh, offensively. Uh, and again, I thought last, after last year, you know, when I did the review of the season, I, I was convinced that, that it was Sissons that was kind of holding up that line with Benino. And, um, you know, it seemed to be it was the opposite. But he's still at least been pretty strong defensively this season. And, um, you know, even if his offense is dried up, if he's on a line with Turris and with um, Blackwell, I think that can be a real help because, again, Turris is a great playmaker, but he's not very good defensively, at that, really at all. Um, and so I think Colton Sissons being on the line with him, I think will give him a little bit more of that flexibility, allow Turris or Sissons both to maybe trade off, you know, who's driving the puck, who's that centerman, you know, on any given shift. So, you know, if one of them's just in a better position, they can go for it. And so I think that it's gonna, that's going to help. And I think Sissons and, and Turris are going to complement each other pretty well. And then when you've got someone like Trennan, who's um, – you know, playing really well, and he's not a liability. I mean, yeah, seven penalties, but, you know, or seven penalty minutes, but that's that's not what, like, Watson's getting, you know? And you could say you can say there's something to be said for Austin Watson and his ability to block shots, but really the problem with that is, is when you go down to the ice to block a shot, you're not playing defense for two or three seconds afterwards. And, um, you know, Nashville's allowing a lot of shots, letting opponents get a lot of shots now. And so you can't have a player who's either out of the play because he's gone down to block a shot um, because he's started a fight or he's hit somebody and he's in the penalty box because right. in years past, his only, really his strongest advantage was on the penalty kill. And this year he's been awful on it. Um, and so it's been really kind of just interesting to see what has gone on and why he's completely just the few things that he excelled at are just not showing up at all now. Yeah, and there's been a, a, a very a collective regression on the Nashville Predators as a unit, and it's been very upsetting to see. So I know that David Poyle is not going to do this. 
I know he's not going to make the same mistake again. I've been wrong before, as you saw last night with Willie Donick. But uh. is there a player in the league that would objectively make the Nashville Predators roster better? And who would you give out? Because I look at this roster, and it's a very balanced lineup on paper. You have grinders, you have playmakers, and you have shooters. But there is, for some reason, there's not... It's like a piece of a puzzle is missing. There's no glue. Who who would make it better? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a goaltender. I mean, really, <laughs> and, 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 I, and that doesn't mean that we have to go and trade one because I think that after the break's over, I really strongly think that once Ellis and Sissons are healthy, that Nashville needs to carry three goalies for the rest of the season with Connor Ingram. Because he and Grossnick are having amazing seasons in Milwaukee. And I think it's time to give Ingram maybe seven, eight games at the end of the season uh, just to see what he can do. Because, you know, goaltending's been up and down. The both of them have been trending up a little bit more as of late. But still, if you can get somebody who can be in there and at least be consistent and give you, you know, 83, 84, 85% on the on the PK, that's... <laughs> That's, that's a big that's a big difference that is a so, big difference that's that's two goals that the predators really need back you know mm-hmm. and yeah. and so and, and, I, and I hate to blame make it sound like I'm blaming at all on the goaltending because again you know stats it analytics has have a really hard time quantifying defense um, we can do stuff with offense all day long but with defense all you really got is expected goals again that's kind of the best that you can do Um but and then and there's some things that don't show up on a stat sheet. You can see just defensive structure, things like that. I mean, giving up the shorthanded goal yesterday, you know, was again just a complete failure in structure. But this is—it's gotten to a point where it's just some of the stuff you can explain by maybe a bad defense or something like that. But like the weird issues that Renee's having on the penalty kill and Soros is having on five on five is just kind of their aberrations. And so I think it wouldn't really hurt to have Ingram there as an option to give them something different to look at because uh, I think uh, Michael Wade said on, t- on Twitter today is that there's, there's probably something to the thought that when you don't know what goaltending you're going to get in a game and then you give up one and you, you were building up momentum and now you don't know, you know are they going to give up three more or, you know, it's kind of it's got to be you know a lot. It has to take away some of that motivation. It's got to be deflating, and they probably don't do it consciously. These guys all have the most the most trust in Zekarina, and he's earned it. But you know something different can probably benefit because that's really the one position group that you don't see any moving around or swapping around just by virtue of how it works. Yeah, because I really don't see a player that you can go and plug in. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Like, you could think of whatever high price rental, you know, despite whatever the cost. And you said like, cost isn't an option. Just you could go out there and get the highest, the best guy out there that's going to be a pure rental to put in for the rest of the season. I don't know that that player is going to come in and make this team, you know, a, a playoff team that's going to get into the second or third round. I just don't. I don't see it, especially in the, with the hole that they're in. And then, I mean, how many how many free agents does Nashville have to add? where they they perform, they perform, and then they get to Nashville and they regress. 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's getting to a point where there's not much else you can do but just kind of hold on. Um, I don't know that I necessarily still want to sell unless it's to get, you know, a lot of get good prospects or clear up some cap space. Uh, but I don't really think that going out and getting a rental, I mean, as much as I'd love it because it would be exciting and it'd be fun, but I don't know that it's going to make it any better. And at the end of the season, we're probably going to have a bad taste in our mouth because we went and added a, gosh, I don't even know who's available right now. I haven't even thought about it too much. But, um, you know, you, you could go and add somebody. I just don't see them making a huge difference on this team. I could be wrong, but um, it's just kind of it's just kind of a whole malaise throughout the all team so yeah and you know you look back in the off season when David Boyle shipped out PK Subban picked up Matt Duchesne and I don't think it's any secret to say that Matt Duchesne has not exactly performed as advertised so we're going to take a quick 30 second break you were listening to 91.5 WGRE your sound alternative Emily Park, class of 2008. I'm a reporter and anchor at Coin6 CBS News in Portland. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE Greencastle. I'm Tyler Rosen, your sports director at WGRE 91.5, your sound alternative. Welcome back to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. You are listening to Puck Talk with Spider Jack. Missing Axe today in studio, and I'm also missing Matt Puste, but that's okay because we have Brian Baston, an analytics contributor to On the Forecheck, who we have been just dissecting everything from stats to the way the Preds play to Austin Watson to Pecorine, UC Saros. We have covered everything hockey, right? We have rambled, and I'm getting so upset just at the way that this team's underperforming. So, Brian, I'm going to need your help to get back into the positive mindset. Is that all right? Yeah, stuff that matters. Yeah, something that matters. So, Marvel. We virtually got, after Endgame, after Spider-Man, I think everybody needed a break from Marvel movies for a little bit. And now, with the new Black Widow movie coming out, with the developments that Natalie Portman's going to be the next Thor with... Falcon and Winter Soldier coming out on Disney Plus with uh, the, mo- the, the 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 series with Scarlet Witch and Vision. What are you most excited about coming up with Marvel? Um, I really think that that Winter Soldier uh, series is going to be good. I think that a lot of these series, I think, will benefit from trying to squeeze something into a two-hour movie with with characters that now they're missing the kind of the thing that kept them held them together with Captain America. But I think having it in, in an episode format is really going to help. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and it gives us something to look forward to. It's not like you just sit down and watch it. It's mm-hmm. it, it's something that you get to look forward to on a weekly basis. It draws viewers back in. Now, I, I have seen the Black Widow trailer a couple times. I'm sort of on the fence about it because I'm not sure what the timeline is. I'm not sure what this is going to add to the cinematic universe as a whole. Do you think that this Black Widow movie is going to be good as, say, a Iron Man or a Winter Soldier or a Ragnarok? Uh, it gives me big Winter Soldier vibes. 
Um, yeah. Winter Soldier is probably my, my, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Marvel movie. Um, because it really wasn't like a superhero movie as much as it just kind of was a really good movie all by itself. And it's got pretty good uh, cast. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm excited for it. We'll see if they reel it in. They keep in. It, we're going to get uh, too crazy, I guess. But I, I'm really looking forward to that, too. I think that it's got a lot of potential. We'll just see if they can actually pull it off. Yeah, and... It, it- what I can deduce is that it takes place directly after Winter Soldier, when she's uh, right in between Winter Soldier and uh, I, the next movie, I guess, was uh, was Age of Ultron. I don't know. I've been stuck on Star Wars for since <laughs> since The Mandalorian came out, so that's what I've been focused on. But looking, looking ahead, we have Black Widow, of course. We have Falcon and Winter Soldier. The Eternals. The Eternals. I know nothing about the Eternals. I know nothing. I did not read those comics. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. Uh, but Angelina Jolie's in this movie, and so is uh, Chloe Zhao and WandaVision. I mean, there's so many different things coming out, and they're sort of going away from the core six. Do you think that people are still going to tune in and watch the new movies without actors like Downey and Evans and Hemsworth in the mix? I think so. I mean, I think they did a really good job saving themselves by keeping Tom Holland in for, for Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they it's been telegraphed for a long time now that he's going to be kind of the, the center point of all this, but it's for good reason, I think. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, him and Doctor Strange, I think, will have kind of a, a, a probably a bigger role. I know that a bunch of stuff is supposed to go down in his movie, which is in a couple of years. Yeah. And um, I, I'm wondering how they're all going to fit it together. You know, like, mm-hmm. it, it, because even though it took 22 movies to tell the whole story, it was such an entertaining ride and it was such a good story from start to finish. But where do you go from Endgame, you know? Um, also. Blade, Captain Marvel 2, Fantastic Four, and Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Let's talk about this Fantastic Four movie. Because third time's got to be a charm, right? Yeah, I mean, you'd think so. So, I didn't know. Is this still... Is, this still, is it Fox that has that? It still has the rights to that? Fox... Or is this going to be Fox, Marvel? Fox gave the rights to Disney so that they can finally do right by the Fantastic Four. Okay, good. Because, yeah, I mean, I know that's why the only reason they kept putting out these movies was so they could keep the rights, and they were awful. Yeah, they were just bad movies from start to finish. And they took good actors like Michael B. Jordan and put him as The Flame. And that's a great creative choice, but it was poorly executed, and it wasn't Jordan's fault. Well, I mean, I mean, look at some of the other people who've been in. I mean, Chris Evans. I mean, yep. it's just it, yeah, they were they were they were a train wreck. And I think if anything else, and if, if whoever they get the cast to play them, I think the, the main reason they probably push to get them back is because you got to get Galactus and you got to get Doctor Doom. And right. Those are kind of where you. That's the next logical step to go as far as you know your big bads and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm I'm hoping if that's I didn't know that they they sold off to Disney, which is pretty good news. Um, but you know that I think will be something that will help at least I think more so just for having villains than, than anything else. 
Well, that's been the one bad thing about Marvel movies is that there have been two really good villains, and the rest of them, mm-hmm. and some of them were okay, and then some of them were just plain bad. I think that's just been the one crutch I've had with Marvel movies. But looking forward, Tom Holland, that that whole shtick, that whole that whole Disney Fox relationship thing. I'm not entirely sure what went down, but do you see a crossover with Venom and Spider Man? And you know, do you see a crossover because Venom wasn't too bad of a movie, right? It was okay. I, it was, I mean, it was better than I expected, but that wasn't a very high bar. Um, yeah, I don't know. To be honest, I think it, it's very. It's two way different, like atmospheres, I guess. And I think maybe they give. I think that they've already announced the second Venom movie, haven't they? I think so. In the next few years. And I'm so glad that the character who was on that '70s show is not playing Venom like he did in <laughs> Spider-Man Three. <laughs> That was one of the yeah. worst decisions about the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Yeah, uh, it. I think I, don't know, I think it'll give a lot. Cause I think you could also go with with you, you know having Sinister Sinister Six, and you could you could that's where you could pull in Venom too as well. And so right. it, gives them, it gives them a lot. And so I, I'm hoping. I think. I mean, you talk about you know all they didn't really hit or miss with their villains, but. These two last two Spider-Man movies, and the villains have like been by far part of the best best part, and it's not because Tom Holland is bad, but just because Vulture and and uh, Mysterio were just two fantastic characters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I watched the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man's the other day, and he's a good Spider-Man. It's just that wasn't the best movie for Spider-Man. It didn't encapsulate it was like peter parker as a college student instead of peter parker as a high school student that's what we really wanted and you know i, I don't know but as you can tell yeah, i well, just i just sort of talk about the thing that i heard i, read, I heard is that, and i agree with it is that that um um you know andrew burfield was a much better spider-man and toby mcguire was a much better peter parker and tom holland can do them both very well, and I think that they really benefited from not having to go through do a whole movie of I'm discovering my powers and now I'm you know we're going to spend the whole time doing that. They got to skip through all of that, and I think that really helped. And because again, I like Andrew Garfield a lot for the most part. I mean, I didn't mind him all that much, but you can definitely tell that like one strong at one, one strong at the other, and so I think Tom Holland's kind of that perfect mix between the two. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> um, going forward. Chris Evans has already come out with Knives Out, which was a fantastic movie with a fantastic director in Ryan Johnson. And Robert Downey Jr. is coming out with Dr. Doolittle. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't wait to go see Dr. Doolittle. Did you go see Knives Out with Chris Evans? Not yet. I need to. Oh, my gosh. I won't say it's like Miley Cyrus post Hannah Montana, but... The dramatic difference between Captain America and whoever Chris Evans played was incredible, and <laughs> yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, and it, it's it was it was such an entertaining film. Do you think that Evans and Downey will make cameo appearances coming back 
you know, in later movies, or is did they just ride until the wheels fell off? Yeah, I think they're. I think they're done. I mean, I would say maybe they would have to do something if it's going to be like a a flashback of some sort or something like that, but not anything um, major. I think it would just be like, oh, okay, they they're in this scene because this is what happened in the past. That's it. I've been mean, even that may be pushing it. I think they're both ready to be done. Well, I mean, they, even though it makes them super rich. Well, yeah, they were a part of the universe for ten plus years, and. I guess Chris Evans can finally say that he had the most lines and the most screen time out of of all time and made the most money out of every movie ever. And that's true. Chris Evans had the most screen time in, Aven- in Avengers Endgame, and Endgame is the highest grossing movie of all time. Yep. I don't know how you top that. I mean, I can't. I can say the only. I think the main, the the, the time that everybody cheered in the theater when we saw it, <laughs> when, when he got, when he picked up when he picked up the hammer. I mean, I think actually people, everybody, like they all screamed, and so yeah, he pretty much had it there. So, <laughs> so I was. What was that moment like for you? Because I'm going to talk about that moment for me. I was for sure that Thor was going to die in that moment because you read rumors online. You're like, who's going to die? Who's going to die? Who's going to die? And at that moment, Downey's down. Evans hadn't been on the screen for a while, and Hemsworth is getting that is getting that big axe stuck into him. And then you just see the hammer pick up, and we were like, "Wait a second! Wait a second! Wait a second! Did Vision come back?" And then it comes back to Steve, and everybody lost. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. What was that moment oh, yeah. like for you? I completely, uh, I fanboyed. Oh yeah, so did I. I mean, it was one of those things that you. Thinking back on it, you're like, yeah, I should have seen it happening a mile away. But no, it was it was perfect. I mean, it really was exactly what you needed. It gave they they spread everything out, build attention, so that you know it's a handful of them, and then there's then there's Thor and Rocket, and then everybody else comes in, and so it was. Yeah, it was, I mean, that was the best part by far. I mean, I, I, I remember. Again, I'm I'm a grown man. I'm, I'm a dad, and I still had got goosebumps on it, and I knew it was coming, but you know, not that specifically, but you know, something like that was coming and still got me. So, and the yeah, way awesome. the way that the Russo brothers directed it, they made it so that you knew Hulk snapped his fingers. You thought it worked. And then this huge battle takes place, and by the time that Cap Shield is completely destroyed, you had forgotten about what the Hulk did. And so when everybody yeah. started coming back, I think I cried seven yeah. times for each seven times <laughs> I saw it in the theaters. So Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> um, oh. yeah, I'm, I'm, that's, that's really impressive. I will say this. I'm going to have to, I may jump off here in about five, ten minutes, but if you want to talk about things that hopefully Robert Downey Jr. is doing Dr. Doolittle for whatever reason, I mean, money or something, but I'd like to see him go do another Sherlock Holmes movie because I like those movies a lot. It's in um, development. Movies. That is in development. But how long? I thought it didn't been in development for, for well, a I mean, decade now. Well, that was such a good... That was such a good one-two punch, those two movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they are making a third one. Uh, I would have to look that up, but I'm, I'm like I'm like 67.34% sure that they definitely are making that movie. Oh, yeah, next 2021, looks like. 2021, we're going to have it. Oh, oh boy. Guy Ritchie, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> 
Well, Brian, uh, I think that's all the time that we have here at the top of the hour. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. This was a blast. This was a lot of fun. Once again, that was Brian Basson. If you missed it, you missed out. We talked everything Preds, analytics. We talked Marvel. We talked Victor Arvidsson. And, Brian, I am definitely going to have you back on the show. Well, thanks. I'd love to do it, man. This has been, it's been an honor to be on. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> all right, folks. That is officially the top of the hour, so we're going to play the news. You were listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Ed Donahue, AP News. We're at Girl Scout Troop 1734, and you're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative in Greencastle, Indiana. I could not think of a better intro song for my next guest, Peyton Turnage, than Baby Shark. Peyton Turnage, how are you doing today? Oh, gosh. Uh, you want to talk about a song that I really don't like, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, buddy. <laughs> Peyton Turnage, he is the voice of the University of Alabama and Huntsville hockey team. And he will be joining me today, and we're going to talk everything UAH. We're going to talk Preds, just like Brian Baston, a lot even 15 minutes ago. We're going to talk all things hockey here at the top of the hour at 5.03, currently 30 degrees and feels like 19, which means it's 19 degrees. Peyton, tell us a little bit about your experience and what got you into UAH and what made you want to be a full-time broadcaster. Well, I'll say it's off the top. Uh, it's 44 degrees here, and it feels like 22, so I'm kind of feeling you guys up there. So. <laughs> well, I mean, Jack, it starts at a very, very young age, uh, three, four years old, pushing around my toys, pushing around my toy NASCARs, pretending that I'm Bob Jenkins on ESPN Speed World. Uh, that just kind of developed into... Uh, Wanted to be an announcer, wanted to be a NASCAR announcer first off for, uh, for my life goal, and then uh, became a hockey fan at age 10, and then the the, the one to announce kind of evolved into that too. So um, that kept going through college, and I would uh, practice announcing while watching TV in my dorm room and in the fraternity house, and people would bang on my door and scream at me, but uh, I just uh, <laughs> kept going, and then eventually I met... Justin Bradford at a Vanderbilt hockey game in 2013, I think. And I said, uh, if you ever need anybody to fill in, I'm your guy, and I'd be happy to work for you. And then a year later, in the fall of 2014, uh, the National Junior Predators came to town. Billy Box Radio had just gotten the broadcast rights for that. And, but uh, that, the weekend of the Junior Preds were opening up, uh, they were covering a big college tournament, and they all the spots were filled up. And so... Justin reached out to me, and uh, he took a leap of faith because he was asking me for a tape, and I told him, "Look, I'm uh, I'm good enough. You don't you don't need a tape for me." So uh, a moment, a rare moment of hubris from me, but it turned out pretty well. So I did the first three junior bread games. They uh, scored 28 goals that weekend, and then uh, I was asked to come back for every game after that. And uh, so I did the junior bread for three and a half seasons and covered club hockey for uh, Vanderbilt and filling in for MTSU and then the SCCHD tournament and then 
UAH came calling around this time last year. Uh, it's actually this time a year ago that I made my UAH debut. So I've been around the world, man, and it's uh, it's been a ride. This is my sixth season calling hockey now, and uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. That, folks, if you are not aware. Peyton and I love to troll each other on Twitter. We love to just say passive-aggressive things and not tag each other and just let each other find it. And let me tell you something. I've never heard that story of just, yeah, just trust me. <laughs> so that, that I, I, I'm such a humble guy, and I don't have much confidence <laughs> in the world, but uh, in that moment, I was like, nah, you don't need it. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, Peyton, where Peyton? Where did you go to college? I went to school at Murray State, home of the Racers. You went to Murray State up in Kentucky. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh boy! No, well, well, no wonder you ended up in Louisville. Okay, so. Oh God, that's a long story. Let's not get into that. Let's 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 not get into that. <laughs> um, Peyton, so when you're broadcasting a game and you're watching everything that's going on and you are you know observing and trying to speak as you observe, what's going through your head? Or if nothing's going through your head, or you know what what are you thinking about during the game? As the action is going on, I really don't give it much thought. I just buzz right into it. And then uh, during whistles, it's like the world kind of comes back to me, and I've got to start processing thoughts and thinking about little anecdotes here and there. Sometimes I don't say much between whistles. I just kind of say, it's coming on the ice, it's coming off. But uh, it's funny in intermission, people will try to talk to me, and I'm in, still in that like one-track mind. And it's hard for me to make conversation. Like I'm, I'm so socially awkward, so tuned in and focused on the game. Yeah, well, I, and you know, I Peyton and myself, along with Sam Fleming and Jonah Story, will be down in Nashville, Bellevue, Fordyce Center on February seventh through the ninth. We're going to be calling all the SEC hockey games going on that weekend. And Peyton's advice to me was to practice with NHL 19, just turn the sound off, and just commentate the game, or commentate real hockey as you're watching it, you know, turn off, you know, you just click mute and try to go with the flow. And speaking of going with the flow, the National Predators are not going with the flow. What did you see last night, and where did it break down? And, you know, just give me your thoughts on last night's just, just load of uh, load of messy stuff because this is PG thirteen radio. Load of messy stuff well, that went on last I night. Was, uh, I was way up high at twenty seven, and they were doing a good job early on in the game. Generating chances, it was very clear it was going to be John Gibson. Uh, I was sitting with another really hard trio now. Camp Gumby, he said, you know what I've noticed is credits are really good at making adjustments to the coaching system on the fly. But we saw that Victor Arbison goal go in with a shot, the deflection. So we saw the Preds try that many more times. But then they go to the other end and just let it, you know, a goal or two in and they got down early. And that's just been something we've seen all season long. They'll get down and then they'll get down on themselves. It's like there's still some kind of mentality 
from the Theater Laviolette area, era that they just can't shake off where they get down and then they just think that's it. Yeah, I'd have to 100% agree. And Abigail Martin, uh, who's a penalty box rated contributor, who was in the press box last night in place of Justin Bradford, who's down in Savannah covering SEC hockey, Abigail and I were talking. There is a very clear sign that something is missing. And we're not sure what is missing, but we're sure something is missing. Whether that be a vocal leader, whether that be a leader by example, something is not right with this team. And I just want to know your thoughts. Do you think that adding a uh, a known locker room guy or a or a leader in the or, or somebody that's not afraid to voice his opinion do you think that adding that to this Nashville team would objectively make it better well it, it, they're certainly helping or sorry they're hurt they're hurting in the absence of Ryan uh, Ryan Phillips. but um, one thought I've had is that they're just lacking a number one center I mean surely Brian Gilbert and Duchesne they're both number one caliber players they're certainly not playing but getting you start thinking about, oh my gosh, they're going to need new contracts. You know, are we stuck with them? If it isn't who they're going to be, but that's certainly the first place my mind goes. Is the number one center position. They've got to get more contribution up there. I think you could add in whoever you want. You could add in a, a local leader, but you've got to get your top center going. There's, that's the only way you can get going. And the other thing too, uh, some of those stats guys. From Kelly Box Radio, like George Benarinkis and Michael Wayne were talking today. Both Rene and Saros are sub 900. So, I mean, you're not going to go anywhere and get any good goaltending. Well, goaltending has been objectively the worst part about this Nationals team thus far this year. And I don't know if. I've never put on skates and played in a hockey game, but I'm sure if you're not sure which goaltender is going to show up, that's going to affect how you play. So, um, in terms of what did you think of Rocco Grimaldi's comments last night? Because from what I'm, from my understanding, they what he said was completely unprompted. He talked about how he talked about exactly what you said. When the team goes down, one goal, two goals, then everybody just sort of gets dejected. And I did not expect candid comments like that from a player like Rocco Grimaldi. So, what were your thoughts on how honest and how Kind of upsetting it was to hear that from a depth player like Grimaldi. Well, especially with Grimaldi being the hustler that he is, and he brings a lot of energy to this team. So it just kind of shows how toxic the negativity is seeking on the guys like him. And I mean, it just how sick it is too if he is bringing up comments like that so unprompted. But at the same time, he's seen on. What we've seen from this team since, you know, had a great October than ever been ever since something has just gone into you and they've never recovered from it. Yeah, and you know you sort of get this feeling of here we go again, right? You get this feeling of oh no. Here here, here it comes. And we're gonna take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about where this feeling may have started. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Remember DePaul, highlighting some of our important history and extraordinary alumni. On May 6th, 1909, 
It was announced in the DePaul school newspaper, the DePaul Daily, that 10 DePaul students had formed Sigma Delta Chi, a fraternity for journalism and journalists. An honorary fraternity, the organization took a firm stance on supporting a truthful and honorable press. By instilling and ingraining these values, DePaul's own archivist, Wes Wilson, has more. It was uh, showed the professionalism of the print media here at DePaul from an early time. The fact that students gathered and were thinking outside of the campus broadly about uh, professionalism and journalism to start an organization. Not long after its founding, the fraternity spread to many other campuses, ultimately becoming a national institution. Renamed in 1988 to the Society of Professional Journalists, it is to this day a national player in the realm of journalism, continuing to instill its ethical and empowering press-related mottos. Welcome back to Puck Talk with Spider Jack. With me right now is the voice of the UAH hockey club, or hockey team, excuse me, Peyton Turnage. Now, Peyton, we... So it was like a sort of threw the threw the bob out into the water. When do you think this feeling of oh no, here it comes again with this National Predators team started? Wasn't it toward the end of October? Oh, actually, you know what? I I, I thought of it. It was the Halloween disaster. Oh, they, uh, maybe what five to two over Calgary, and then they lost six five in overtime. Yes, that that was one of the worst. I think that was the beginning of the regression, if you will. Oh, it definitely was. That was so shocking. This team. I remember being on Penalty Box Radio with Justin Bradford earlier that week on my how great Tigbenino's playing and how Pecorino really wants the Stanley Cup. And then that game happened, and it just instantly changed. Yeah. And I think that it goes back a little bit further than that. Do you recall the feeling when the Nashville Predators lost to the Winnipeg Jets in Game 7 of that second round back in 2018? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, That game started off so disastrous, and the game was over by the end of the second period, middle of the second period, really. And I remember when that series began, game one, I can't remember if the Predators won or if they lost narrowly, but you just had this feeling of, oh, God, I don't think they're going to do it this year. Yeah, and that had been so different from the entire rest of the season because the Predators had had not played competitive hockey until they faced a very young Colorado Avalanche team in the first round and they shocked the Predators at home not once but twice and they had to go on the road and they had to beat them and from then on Redstone Arena did not have the aura as Adam Vinga calls it or Adam Vignet if you will they didn't have that aura and it still hasn't come back and I'm wondering when and if that aura at Bridgestone Arena is going to come back I've been really wanting to read that article. I've got to renew my uh, subscription to The Athletic. 
really the loss of the core of the Christian Marina, I can attest to it in uh, sort of a middle class citizen. <laughs> Ever since the Cup run in 2017, they've just you know, dramatically increased the prices. And I think you've lost some of the, the blue collar crowd, you know, a little rough around the edge, created that atmosphere. And I think that's a huge as to why the atmosphere in Bridgeton isn't quite what it used to be. Paper Walker has a lot to do with it too, but the, the, the people aspect of it too has, has a huge effect uh, on it. Yeah, and, you know, it, it feels like the shell of the cup run has guided them through the last couple of years and it certainly feels that way and it has felt that way for a very long time and I'm just kind of wondering when they're going to let loose and start playing it the way that they need to play which is fun you know one thing that I love watching about these old highlights is that they looked like they were having fun at the very least you look back at the last couple of years it looks like they haven't had fun in the longest of times it's because they've lost their underdog status. All the way up until then, Nashville was a scratch franchise. Nobody gave respect to why are they there or why is hockey even in Nashville? And then the Predators proved everybody wrong. And they were top dogs competing for the Stanley Cup every year. And so when you're not an underdog, there's more pressure on you, and it's just it's not as fun because you're expected to win every single night. You're expected to win the Stanley Cup every year. Well, and that's what happens when you make runs like that. But looking at the roster from that 2017 Cup run to the next year, to the 2018 President's Trophy year, they lost two vocal leaders in James Neal and Mike Fisher. They lost two guys that warranted respect on the ice. Do you think that those two absences may or had long-term effects that we're not really seeing until now? Or do you think that this team was just prone to regress anyways? The Neil Fisher thing, I had never really given much thought to until today when you and Abigail were talking about it. To a degree, I mean, it makes sense. Um, you know, I'd really have to look at it and examine it more. As far as the team being uh, destined to regress, I mean, we thought this team was a contender again this year on paper. So I don't know. Maybe, like you say, maybe it is that local leadership is missing. There's definitely something missing. And you can do another earth-shattering trade, but who knows if that's really going to be enough. It's, it's almost down to just a, uh, a fundamental tip or aspect. Yeah, and Brian Baston and I were talking about this a little bit at the last hour, but I don't think that there's a player in the league that would objectively make the Predators better now. Because on paper, it certainly looks like the Predators are balanced from top to bottom. And there's some use out of every single player with the exception of Austin Watson. Would you agree? <laughs> but Austin Watson, yes. I mean, uh... Abby Miles doesn't listen to this show, so you can say whatever you want about Austin Watson. Oh, okay, yeah. Austin Watson is uh, chopped liver, so... <laughs> <laughs> he's not... Uh, 
he's not the folk hero that we remember from the 2017 and 2018. He's just, uh, he's not really much and, and very, very expensive at this point. But I agree. There's not a player that the Prince can put in that would easily improve. The core issue, the fundamental issue, is that either they're going to have to figure out themselves or David Boyle is going to have to trade off every guy that's not bolted down. And there comes the discussion of whether or not Poyle got what he traded for, and it's a question of whether or not the guys that are making the big bucks are producing as advertised. Um, My main person is Matt Duchesne, but that's an easy target because he's still new to Nashville, he's still trying to get used to the whole thing he's not quite you know there's a that there is i feel like matt duchene's a little bit more prone to excuses and i'm willing to excuse matt duchene's play to a certain degree that being said i look at ryan johansson i look at philip forsberg and i think to myself what are you doing because you were paid to produce you were paid to play well and you have not done that thus far Ryan Johansson, especially like uh, like I said earlier, I, I I can't believe you know with how much money he was paid and and just, I mean he, he's do you ever really notice Ryan Johansson out there on a night by night basis besides just how long he plays? I mean he's just not been an effective player at all. Maybe something with that injury that he had in 2017 maybe took a chunk out of him. He's just not the same since, but. I still think it's a mental thing with Johansson. Well, and I, I will say this. Ryan Johansson is the best passer on the Nashville Predators team. And he's also one of the best shooters, even if he doesn't show it. So I'm just kind of wondering, where's the trade-off? What's the drop-off? You know, when can when is Ryan Johansson going to step up? And I don't know if it's a locker room chemistry thing because I know that he had great locker room chemistry with P.K. Subban and now P.K. Subban's gone. And, you know, I'm just not entirely sure what the deal is. And the reason I'm saying all these things and the reason that Peyton and I are hot-taking right now is because we have literally run out of answers. We can look at statistics all day long. We can look at numbers. We can try and decipher. We can be speculative we can change out the coach we can you know throw in different players into the mix but overall the Nashville Predators are just not succeeding to the level that we saw they can be capable of we'll see how this goes because when they brought in John Hines one of the things I heard about him is he loves working with players on a one-on-one basis I'm sure he has not had any time to do that he got in uh, a couple weeks ago, they had a couple of weeks, and they, they've been on a road trip and just recently got back from it. So there probably had some been pretty much downtime, pretty much practice time. So I'm not ready to hit the panic button yet, but uh, the panic button is hard to be pushed a little bit closer to me. But we'll just see how this goes. He's got work with people one-on-one against Joe I think he needs to have Johansson realize his shooting talent and uh, have him see the opportunities that may represent himself. 
you just get more out of the strength that you mentioned, either just to realize he has or, or think he has to give to others. As if, like, a fast dog, when he can shoot it from between the dots. Something missing, and hopefully Hines can work with everyone and get the best out of each player. Yeah, and um, an update about two hours ago, speaking about Johansson, talked a little bit about about Victor Arvidsson as well. Victor Arvidsson was fined today $2,000 for embellishment. So, you know, even they don't know what the heck they're doing. <laughs> and was that from last night's game? That was from the Boston game from the first period with Brad Marchand. Well, they took a while to uh, issue that one, didn't they? Yeah, and you know, I have had, uh, uh, I have always been an advocate for trashing public relations for the NHL PR and for the Department of Players Safety because this this year, especially, they have done a horrible job at protecting players. They have done a horrible job at throwing out punishments, and I I, I don't agree with finding a player two thousand dollars. After they've already played another game, that seems ridiculous. I mean, that was a lot of time since the Bruins game, hasn't it? I mean, like what, maybe a, a week and a half, something like that. Because they went on the road. They haven't. They they went on the road. They played two games. It's been over a week. Why are you finding him now? I don't know, man. That's that is so bad on so many levels. I, I wish I could. Uh, I wish I could say what I wanted to say on air, but um, before... Are they going to suspend Ryan Marchment for a uh, knee-on-knee hit back in the 1999 season? <laughs> <laughs> well, and... We'll talk about that. Well, and my article that just came out about 20 minutes ago talked a little bit about player safety, because if you saw Zach Cassian was suspended for two games... For standing up for himself against Matthew Tuchuk, did you you saw that you saw that controversy, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the fact that Tuchuk got no suspension for clearly hitting Cassian in the head is uh, what are you doing? Yeah, and when you look at it, it's so upsetting to see a player who clearly wasn't looking to... He doesn't have a history. He wasn't targeting anybody. He wasn't laying dirty hits. Zach Cassian was the victim in this case. And I, I, I don't I don't understand it. I don't understand why Tuchuk wasn't fined at the very least. But it makes no sense. And the worst part is they suspended Cassian for two games which gives him plenty of rest, and the game that he comes back is against Calgary. The Make- only silver lining in it is that the Battle of Alberta has been a long time seen a lot of pressure uh, that arrived for people we're seeing now. I mean, it's maybe longer than I've been alive. Yeah. And we're going to take a really quick break here. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative.
Hey, honey, is this your course schedule for the fall? Yep. Ah, let me see here. English, good. Chemistry, trigonometry, excellent. World history. Oh, I love world history. Baseball. Wait, baseball? Baseball isn't a course, honey. Well, sure it is, Mom. High school sports are about so much more than winning and losing. They teach lessons that can't be taught in a classroom, like accountability and self-discipline, the value of teamwork. I may not be earning a grade, but I'm learning how to compete later in life. Isn't that what getting a good education is all about? Yes, of course it is. I was just testing you. <laughs> what can teenagers here in Indiana learn from participating in high school sports? Plenty, as it turns out. That's why they're called education-based athletics. High school sports. There's so much more than just a game. This message presented by the Indiana High School Athletic Association and the Indiana Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Kristen Airy, play-by-play voice of the Indiana Pacers on Fox Sports Indiana. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your home for DePaul Tiger Athletics. Your home for Tiger Athletics. Welcome back to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Puck Talk with Spider Jack and my good friend Peyton Turnitz, who's down in Tennessee right now. He is the play-by-play announcer for the Alabama Huntsville hockey team. And we have been talking Preds. We've been talking suspensions. We've been talking player safety. We've been talking everything here. So tune in for some mo- for some more content. If you are listening right now, it is 31 degrees. It is cloudy. It feels like 20 degrees, which means it's 20 degrees, and the winds are coming from the east at 15 miles an hour. That is your local weather here in Greencastle. Now, Peyton, we've been talking a little bit of hockey, and we will get back to hockey here in a second, but some great news just came out for Star Wars prequels fans, and you are a known Attack of the Clones fan. I know that because you advocated for it on Twitter. Star Wars actor Hayden Christensen has signed a three-film contract with Marvel Entertainment and Disney in an unknown role. Gut reaction, go. Is he going to be whiny? (laughs) Does this involve a love story? It does not involve a love story, but I I certainly hope it does, actually. I I certainly hope so, actually. I I want a Padme Amidala Anakin Skywalker comeback. I mean, come on. Except for the awkward age difference. <laughs> what do you mean the awkward age difference? It's five it's, years. It's not that weird. Only five years, Scott. In in uh, in Phantom Menace, it looked like at least ten. No, it, well, she was fourteen at the time that Phantom Menace came out, and Anakin was nine. So you fast forward ten years, he's nineteen, so he's well aware of what he's doing, and Amidala is twenty four, so she's well Are you aware, aware of what, what she's you're doing. doing. At 19? I, I guess it depends on the person. But. Well, it, well, as you can see from last night's interaction with Billy Donick, I do not know what I'm doing at nineteen years old. Right um, there, Jack, forgive yourself. <laughs> oh, if he ever listens to this, I just want Willie Donick to know that I did not mean to stir the pot like that. Oh boy! Our careers are over, Jack. <laughs> what careers? They never started. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. In order for a career to be destroyed, it has to exist first. Oh boy! Good golly! So, Peyton, let's uh, let's 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 get back into hockey before I get in trouble. Um, 
UAH, the Chargers. Josh Latta leads the team with 15 points in 22 games played. He currently leads the team in assists. What can you tell us a little bit about Josh Latta, and what can we expect going into the SEC tournament? Well, the uh, first thing about Josh is that he's a freshman. So, it, it, I mean, it's a little bit a little bit scary when a freshman is leading your team in points. But uh, I'll give him credit. He has stepped up. He's kind of a third liner to begin the year. He's climbed up the ladder, and now he's playing on a team with uh, Austin Folio, the team captain, and then he's got um, a pretty good score to his left in Christian Rajic, who I believe is a junior. Folio, the captain, is a senior. But Vlad uh, has got a couple of good guys um, flanking him. He, he definitely gave them credit in the post-game interview uh, last weekend. Uh, he's, he's really done well for himself. And, and there's a lot of freshmen on this UAH team. I, I believe there's at least 10 in the starting lineup on a consistent basis. So the team itself is not performing very well. But you, you see what's what's coming with, with these freshman players, how they're going to be developing and, and growing into uh, hopefully what will be a solid team for the next uh, two to three years. <laughs> yeah. And um, looking at the leading goal scorer, it's also Josh Latta. So... I, I mean, he, he he's doing it all. He He's doing it all. He's making good plays. He has the only game-winning goal. Is that true? Only game-winning goal because UAH has only won one game. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's, that's, not, that's not good. That's not good at all. It's not good, but they've played great in many games. They've stayed in tight contests with big opponents. Uh, two weekends ago, they were in North Dakota taking on the number one Fighting Hawks, and in both the Friday and Saturday games, uh, it was tied 2-2 midway through the third period. So, it's not that they can't compete. It's just that they can't lock it down and finish games at the very end. Yeah, and when I came down to see the UAH team play Alaska Anchorage. It was a fast game. It's back and forth. Many chances going the other way and this way. They're fighting for the middle of the ice. They're getting it. They're making goaltenders make big saves. I mean, this is a good team, even if the record does not necessarily reflect it. And, I mean, looking at the stats, looking at the way that they've lost, there have only been really a couple of bad, bad losses. But other than that, you're talking two-goal, one-goal games. You know, they've gotten better as this season has gone on, minus, um, well, I'm not even going to pretend to try to pronounce whatever college that is. Um, They lost 9-3 to Bowling Green, and then they come back the next night and end in a tie. So it's not well, let that. Let me think about the first game against uh, Bowling Green. They were up three nothing through the first period and, and gave up nine goals. <laughs> well, y- you know that's that that's it is what it is. I, I hate saying that, but you know they came back the next night. I'm trying to be positive here. I'm trying to be positive. Oh, I'm you're tr- doing a good job. You're definitely doing a good job. <laughs> Well, is this team just all youth? Because if you're having a freshman that's leading the team, then obviously then there's not a whole lot of um, uh, there's not a whole lot of senior leadership. But is is this just a young team? 
Yes, um, like I mentioned, I believe on a night, night out school, ten to twelve starting lineup. Uh, I think there's maybe two years on the team. I, I think that don't. So like I said, like I'm a top line right wing, Julio Jr. The top, I believe, the lower line forward, senior, and then their goalkeeper player is a junior. Lots of lots of sophomores and freshmen scattered on the lineup, so it's a very very young. Yeah, and um, the next game is actually coming up here pretty soon at 10.07, and they will be playing. Who will they be playing tonight, Peyton? The Alaska Anchorage Seawolf, and it is in Anchorage, Alaska, and it's going to be uh, WCHA after dark. Oh, boy. That is that is rough. And you are not going to be calling that game tonight, no? <laughs> Uh, I might pretend calling it from the couch if I get back home from Memphis soon enough, but uh, as far as actual live coverage, that is a negative, sir. Oh, that is such a shame because when uh, when I first heard your voice at SEC Weekend, my last SEC Weekend, it was uh, quite incredible. And his call against, I believe it was the Arkansas-Georgia game when Arkansas tied it up and at like three seconds left. That was such... A great call, and I enjoyed listening to that over and over and go and over again. If you haven't heard Peyton Turnage call a game, you are missing out. Check it out at www.penaltyboxradio.com. Look up Peyton Turnage, and I believe something just came out today. His last game, where he called. Uh, which game did you call last? The last time you called a game, because I think that that just went up today. Last weekend was UAH versus Bemidji. And uh, Justin posted the post-game report. I do like a little game summary. And then uh, you'll hear interviews from the coach. And then you'll hear from, guess who, Josh Latta. Yeah. Well, and, uh, I, that little summary after that. Obviously, you'll hear from Josh Latta because Josh Latta. Okay, that's not really fair because I'm looking at all of the, where these players are from. And he's from British Columbia. In West Can- West Vancouver, that's not fair for guys that for guys like Lucas Bod, who's from Hendersonville, Tennessee. That's not fair. That's not fair. He he was when okay when Josh Latta was born, he was born on the ice and he was given a pair of skates immediately. Okay, Josh Lamb probably discovered jo- Lucas Bond. Wow, Lucas Bond probably discovered hockey when he was like four. So that's not fair. It's not, but uh, fun fact about Plata that you'll hear in the interview on that clip they got set up today. Uh, he's never been to Alaska, and he said he would never go if not for <laughs> Is it? Is, hear me laugh at that just like you did. Is is that is that a is that just is Alaska such a desolate place that nobody wants to go there? I heard they still have Blockbuster it there. Be, it must be just hard to get to. <laughs> I heard that there's a country in the way between Alaska and the United States. Yeah, there's that that little nugget, too. Sources can't confirm here at Puck Talk. We'll have our analytics people work on that during the break. (laughs) We'll have our analytics people look at it during the break. Let's Uh, get on that. (laughs) We'll have John Jensen look that up for us later. (laughs) No, we're not getting John Jensen. Okay. Peyton. Here's a question here. Hold on. Okay. I think there are a few State Farm offices up in Alaska. I can't confirm, but I got to think there is. Okay. 
Well, I'm just saying because that's John Jensen, you know, that's up his alley. Well, I mean, I'm just asking, like, would you want him, if there was an opportunity to ship John Jensen off to Alaska, would you? I would ship him off to Russia. (laughs) Okay, you got to explain to the good people of Greencastle and all those tuning in around the world here at 91.5WGRE.com, what is your beef with John Jensen, the Milwaukee Admirals correspondent for Penalty Box Radio? Because even I haven't heard this. He is a jerk. (laughs) But he's also one of my best friends. (laughs) It is a weird dynamic, man. Uh, I knew him just a little bit through him being uh, the Milwaukee Admirals guy from Polybox Radio. But just for background, I worked for Steve Walker. And then I got back to my desk one day, and there was a message from him saying, Hey, I bet you didn't offer this far. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, wait, so wait. John Jensen message. used. Okay, no, I don't think he can. I don't think. I think he might get in trouble for that. That is oh, so. That is so funny. Don't worry. I'll cut all this out when I <laughs> put this on the podcast no, later. Good. <laughs> no, but I have enjoyed just watching this relationship just deteriorate from day one. So, Oh, it's a relationship, all right. <laughs> I can't wait to meet him. I meet him in person for the first time next month at his bachelor party. And we will either be even better friends after that or we will never speak again. Wait a second. Wait, wait a second. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. There will be no in Wait a second, because I've known John Jensen longer than you, and it's it's no question that I've gotten along with him a little bit better on Twitter. How are you going to his bachelor party, and I'm not? I didn't even get an invite. Because you're too young. Too young for what? The drink. Oh, is that really the only thing that's keeping me from coming back from going to John Jensen's bachelor party? Uh, we just don't want to babysit you. Uh, well, that's fair. That's that's very, very fair. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a really quick break. You're listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. I bet you didn't know that according to Nielsen Ratings and Forbes magazine, the second quarter of 2015 has seen the highest number of people tuning into radio ever. 245 million people, 91% of the American population 12 and up. It's because radio is readily available over the air or on the web, and it's free. WGRE is proud to maintain the tradition of live local radio. When you tune in, we've got great new music and classic hits, requests, news, sports, weather, and conversation about all the important stuff going on at DePaul, all right at your fingertips. And now you can just click at the top of our new webpage at WGRE.org and listen. No extra apps needed. If we had to pick one phrase to describe ourselves, it would be your sound alternative. That pretty much covers it. So stick around. Even we aren't sure what's next. WGRE. WGRE. Your sound alternative. WGRE, your sound alternative. Welcome back to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative. Here on the call with me right now is Peyton. (laughs) 
You know, he actually said in that promo, we're not sure what's next, and even I'm not sure what's next. So, folks, we have talked Nashville Predators, we have talked UAH Hockey, we have talked Hayden Christensen coming back in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm so excited. Peyton's not. We've talked John Jensen. We have talked everything on this show. It's only right that we talk about baseball, because why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Hey, Jack. What's up? Can we not talk baseball? <laughs> what? 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 Well, I. Here's the deal. I have seen a couple of rumors on the Twittersphere about the Houston Astros and their cheating, lying, scandalous ways. Have you seen anything, Peyton? Uh, it's about all I've seen, Jack. Is, uh, I am quite worn out from it. And as a, uh, a Met rival fan, a Cardinals fan, I'm just trying to stay as quiet as possible because who knows if we haven't killed it. It has been... It, I, for a sport that is about to go through another league-wide investigation, baseball is as strong as it's ever been because I have never seen people rally around a sport where drug use and steroids, two very big scandals, and then a lockout in the 90s, this sport is still thriving, and it's quite possibly the most scandalous sport ever. Just period. I've never seen anything like it, and people are still talking about the Houston Astros. And you know what? I'm going to save you all the time because Peyton's worn out, and I don't want to wear him out further. So we are going to talk NASCAR. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get some Indiana viewers in here with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway about an hour east of me. NASCAR, Peyton. Peyton, when did you go to your first NASCAR race, and where was it? Here's the thing about that. I've been oh boy. A, I've been stop, basically a lifelong NASCAR fan, but sure on my toys since I was a little boy. But uh, I did not go to my first race until like four years ago. Oh wow! So uh, where so where did you go? It was it was Arca Series, which is now owned by NASCAR, and it was at the National Fairgrounds. Wow, that that is so cool. Um, so, well, obviously you've been following it on TV for the longest time. Who was your favorite driver? So in the beginning, let's see, I was a big Phil Elliott fan. A big what? And then I got caught up in Ernest Ragnarok and kind of been Dale Jr. with moving control. And then ever since, there has been a guy that I've on favor because guys wanted to be boring because that I cared for, you know. Yeah, you know, I, after Dale Earnhardt Jr. retired, that was sort of it for me, right? My man growing up was Jeff Gordon. He appeared in the Looney Tunes back in action movie. He was, he drove the 24 car. You know, for some reason, I always loved the Rainbow Warriors. I loved Jeff Gordon. And then as, and then when he retired, that was, that was sort of like a, 
I, I, I guess, a big blow, and then Junior left, and I was like, well, that's it for me. I don't, I don't, I don't really care to watch it. But were you a Jeff Gordon fan going up, growing up? I hated Jeff Gordon. <laughs> uh, like I said, I up in the... Uh, Hotel anti-skid paranoia, but uh, what did as you- I grew up more more, really grew to respect Jeff and everything that's accomplished. And there's definitely a giant void in sport that uh, has not been filled since he left. What what was wrong with Jeff Gordon growing up? Well, you got to remember, Jack. I was from you know I was originally from South. A lot of people down here just really did not like Jeff Gordon. And uh, I just kind of, I just kind of got swept up in that. But uh, you know, everybody thought he was like pretty boy Jeff, and he didn't quite fit the profile of a typical NASCAR driver. What but were you expecting, like good. another Dale Earnhardt with a big bushy mustache, and the Dale Jarrett's who would talk like he just smoked forty cigarettes? <laughs> That's uh, too appealing to the other. <laughs> But the truth is about Jeff, he really helped with NASCAR in the mainstream. He helped NASCAR, you know, appeal in places like New York and California. I mean, he is a huge reason why NASCAR got so big. Yeah. And I, I remember when I got old enough, my dad showed me when Jeff Gordon hosted Saturday Night Live, and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. The first time that I went to a NASCAR race, I was six years old. So a six-year-old in a NASCAR environment. Now, I went to Bristol Motor Speedway up in Bristol, Tennessee, and it was the most incredible experience I've ever seen. You could you could feel the cigarette burns on your face. You had to step over beer cans just to get into the arena. You had Confederate flags, middle fingers, really, 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 really dusty white people. I mean, you had everything that a six-year-old would that want. sounds like every NASCAR. <laughs> you had everything that a six-year-old kid would absolutely love. And we went to what was then the Bush series, and I believe now is the Xfinity series. We went to the Xfinity series, but we wanted to watch the Nextel Cup practice. And Clint Boyer, who at the time was racing for Richard Childress, was driving the 007 Jack Daniels car. And the Jack Daniels car was commemorating 100 years of Jack Daniels being in the mainstream. So on his car, on Clint Boyer's car, it said, Happy Birthday, Jack. And the Bristol Night Race was set on my birthday, which was August 24th. So my dad... Being the incredible man that he is, nudged me, pointed to Clint Boyer's car, and said, Hey, Jack, look what I did for you. <laughs> that, that's pretty Jack, I know that's your listeners. That's the first time they've heard that. That's about the third time I've heard that story. <laughs> <laughs> but it never gets old, Jack. Never gets old. Just ask... Just ask my sweetheart. She understands that I got to tell jokes at least forty-seven times for it to be funny. So, obviously, that one did not. Obviously, that one didn't hit the way I wanted it to. <laughs> you told me the first time when we saw that terrible line King remake. Oh yeah, no, that was. Well, I don't think it was terrible. I don't think that Lion King remake was terrible. I just don't think that it was complete. 
it was missing one thing facial expressions Oh, yes. Yes. Could have taken the million dollars to donate to a children's hospital instead. But, no, they should make that movie. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, let's talk about um, <clears throat> some tracks that you would want to go visit one day. Have you been up to Indianapolis Motor Speedway? I went... Uh, just last summer, I saw the Xfinity race, and uh, I think before that, I had gone to Whole Day uh, in 2018. Very amazing facility. You are blown away by the size of the place, and one of the tracks out there that you really feel the ghost of the past, and you really have respect for the history. If you look at the place, you believe it's been around for so long. Uh, lots of walks but a lot of charm, too. So even if you can't see all the way around the track, it's still really cool to be there. So I have been in the surprise. And I'm going to try to accomplish that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be that would be great. And um, have, have you been to Talladega? Yeah, I can still hear you. Have you been to Talladega yet? Went to both the cup races in Talladega last year. Took my brother to the fall race. Uh, my story about that, I told my boss that it might rain and I really would need Monday off if she would allow me. And sure enough, the first stage complete and the sky let loose. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? Like, I, you know, I guess I'll just have to ask off. And I just started this new job. And my parents were just blowing my phone off the hook saying, you can't take a day off, you'll get fired, you've got to come back home. And I just did my best to resist. And uh, in the end, I stayed and watched the rest of the race Monday. (laughs) And everything was fine, and Mom and Dad were proven wrong. Peyton Turnage, still employed, folks. You heard it here. Still employed. (laughs) So... I'm going to ask this because I know the answer that I'm going to give. Have you ever ridden in a race car? Ridden and driven. Uh, wow. The Rusty Wallace experience at maybe the most dangerous place you can do it, Gateway Motorsports Park in East St. Louis. Oh, my gosh. It's because we have really, really long straightways and tight turns. Yeah, that's that. I mean, I know the, the the format of that track. That is not a great place if you're just beginning to learn how to drive a race car. That was the first time they had come back in a while because they had like so many wrecks while they were holding that, and the track finally let them come back. And they said, "Look, you cannot touch the gas pedal in the turn. If we hear, if we hear that you're doing that, we are going to call you into the pit." <laughs> but here's the crazy thing, Jack. So I get on the track. They had tested my radio while I was on pit road. It worked just fine. I get on the track. I can't hear my spotter. <laughs> and I don't have a rear view mirror. No, you don't. <laughs> so I'm just out there. I just get on the track. I'm like, okay. He's going the wheel. Here we go. <laughs> All right. 
Folks, we are almost out of time here, but Peyton, I wanted to tell you this story. I know I haven't told you this. I haven't told anybody this in a very long time. I'm going to tell you about the time that I rode in a race car when I was nine years old. Nine years old, as in should not be riding in a race car. So... My ears hurt, Daddy. <laughs> so, we, my dad loved to do the Richard Petty driving experience, much like you did the Rusty Wallace driving experience. But my dad went to Nashville Super Speedway, which is about 45 minutes away from Murfreesboro. And we go there, and my dad just wanted to, just wanted to ride along. He didn't really want to drive it. But for some reason, I'm standing on the pits, and Dad comes back in, and it's the coolest thing in the world to him, and you know it's the coolest thing in the world to me because my dad's a superstar. He just rode in a race car. He just did what Jeff Gordon did. I mean, that's so cool. And the driver gets out of the race car with it still going, and he points to me, and he goes, Hey, kid, you want to ride? I was like, Yeah, sure. And I thought he was just going to take me up and down pit road, and that was going to be it. Nope, he put me in a suit. He gave me a helmet, and he said... All right, here we go. And he takes off. He he mashes the gas, goes as fast as he can around the track. I think we reached 160 miles an hour. And if you can imagine, my head's almost out the window because my body's not strong enough to stay still in the race car. So we're just driving around and... I didn't even think there was going to be a suit available, but because Danica Patrick is so short, <laughs> there was a suit available for me. So after I got out of the car, I wasn't even supposed to go around the track, and my dad goes, how was it? And I go, Dad, I think I peed myself. <laughs> <laughs> With the best part is, apparently I didn't say, Dad, I think I peed myself. Apparently, oh. I screamed, Dad, I think I peed myself. I was going to say, is this like a Christmas story where you're like, I didn't think but... No, no, I screamed, Dad, I think I peed myself because I literally could not hear. Because the noise of the race car just took my hearing out and I, I screamed, Dad, I think I have to, I think I peed myself. Well, and then ever since that day, you've never been able to fully control the volume of your voice, so. No, and, and you can well attest to that. You can, <laughs> you can well attest to that. All right, folks. Now, I've got an excuse. I'm talking on my car's Bluetooth, but, uh, yeah. But as, uh, as they would say, Jack, you've learned to whisper in a cotton gin. <laughs> Well, folks, we've officially run out of time here at Puck Talk on 91.5 WGRA. We didn't even talk hockey the last hour, but tune in next week. I'll have more content for you. Peyton Turnage, thank you so much for coming on, and believe me, you are, you are coming back this Sunday to talk more with me. I can't wait. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, folks. That'll Don be it. Th- kind of a field day with this. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. All right, folks, that'll do it here for me at the top of the hour. You are listening to 91.5 WGRE, your sound alternative.